First Peter chapter 5, and this is a short chapter anyway, so we'll begin. The elders, uh, the elders who are among you, I exhort, who am also an elder, and a witness of the sufferings of Christ, and also a partaker of the glory that is to be revealed, that shall be revealed. Feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight of it, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd shall appear, you shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. In like manner, ye younger, submit yourselves unto the elder. Yea, all of you be subject one to another, and be called with humility. For God resisteth the proud, and giveth grace to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, that he may exalt you in due time, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil, like a roaring lion, walketh about, seeking whom he may devour, whom resist, that, resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. But the God of all grace, who hath called you unto us, us unto his eternal glory, by Christ Jesus, after ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, establish, strengthen, and settle you. To him be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. By Silvanus, a faithful brother, unto you, as I suppose I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which you stand. The church that is at Babylon, elect, elected together with you, greeteth you, and so doth Mark my son. Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity. Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. Amen. Loving Father, we do thank you that your word is true and just, and that you give us a true example of how we are to serve you in the church of Jesus Christ. I pray, Father, that you would bless your word and minister it to us by your Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, uh, this afternoon we see the imp important part of this has to do with Christian service and in the light of Christ coming again, certainly, that we have a call to serve as, uh, first of all, pastors. It's not to rule by constraint, as we note here in the beginning of this chapter. He talks about the flock, feeding the flock, and the motivation of the pastor. Every servant is to have a willing heart, and so the willingness to serve in the ministry is required of all those 
who would be pastors or servants of the Lord. The pastor is to serve free of self-advancement. He speaks about this, uh, ex explaining that we should not do it for any monetary value that is beyond what is necessary for the regular support of the pastor and that we are to have a, a clear conscience of motive. And then the pastor is not to rule as a despot. He uses the term here to lord over in that sense of lording over those that the pastor is called to minister to. And so the primarily uh, the beginning of this has to do with elders and those who serve as the under-shepherds in the church. But also there is some general information uh, that we can note here, such as verse 6 it indicates that we are to humble ourselves, that God may be the one to bless with his grace, that we are to cast our, all of our care, as it were, upon the Lord, because he, he cares for us, uh, that we are one concerning the uh, evil one, and how that he would love to destroy, as it were, those who are believers, and the description of the devil walking about as a roaring lion, um, frightening people, and terrifying. Well, and then the closing um, conclusion, which he draws some in interesting comments here concerning uh, his uh, co-laborer and of the church at Babylon. Okay, so let's uh, begin by looking at the beginning of this uh, chapter. The elders who are among you, I exhort who am also an elder and a witness of the sufferings of Christ and also a partaker of the agony, excuse me, glory that shall be revealed. Well, we know that Peter, of course, was a witness to the sufferings of Christ as he was one of the disciples of the Lord, one of the twelve, and so that he served as one among them. And he ministered as one who was in the, in the very small group which became known as uh, those apostles which would go out and would take the gospel of Christ throughout the whole area. And so the elders who are among you, he, uh, he, I exhort, Peter says, and he calls himself an elder as well and a witness of the sufferings of Christ. And then he also says, also a partaker of the glory that shall be revealed. And so he, he looked to the future himself, realizing that there was a glory to have for serving in, in Christ. And we may account that certain crowns of righteousness or crowns of glory may be ours, and that we might be able to glorify the Lord with those things that we do. And so in light of this Christian service, uh, Peter, Peter 
says not to rule by constraint. As in the second verse, feed the flock of God which is among you, taking the oversight of it, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a ready mind. And so anyone who has served in the ministry knows how important it is to feed the flock, that is, to give the pure, unadulterated word of God and to minister it to all those who are in the flock, who are in the church, and to minister it to them that the Lord may strengthen them and edify them and and build them up in the most holy faith. And so the feeding of the flock, this um, analogy, if you will, of of a shepherd who feeds the flock, as um, we might say that you have a group of of sheep and you are taking them to the the green pastures beside the still waters, and you are providing for them through the ministry of the Word of God. So feed the flock of God which is among you. And we know that those who are serving in Christian ministry are very much involved in being around other believers and needing to encourage them in the work of the ministry. Now, of course, uh, the shepherd could take the sheep to the green pastures, but he couldn't eat the grass for them. He could just take them, and uh, they would know to enjoy the, the, gr- the green grass, to enjoy the water, to enjoy the rest, uh, to the nourishment, if you will. And so it is always the desire of the pastor to believe that everyone in the congregation, everyone in the flock is feeding, is uh, taking part in the nourishment that comes forth from the Word of God. And probably nothing enlightens or encourages the pastor more than to see a hungry sheep, uh, to realize that they are interested in studying the Bible. Now, we know that it, would, it takes a lot of care and patience to feed the flock. And so we must uh, then give ourselves wholly to it and ask the Lord to uh, bless the responsibility of feeding. He says, and of course, that the shepherd is to take the oversight of it but not by constraint, as he says. That is, certainly the elder is an overseer. He oversees the flock. He cares for the flock. And it is not to be by constraint, but willingly. In other words, uh, compulsion. Uh, Certainly, um, a pastor can't be driven to it. Uh, It seems that the analogy which is given of the good shepherd in John chapter 10, if there was a hireling shepherd, he must be there because he is just receiving some remuneration. But he really doesn't care about the sheep so much, right? Um, so the hireling shepherd is, a, is constrained or compelled to serve just because he wants to get paid. But that should not ever be the case 
with the pastor who wants to truly serve the Lord. Uh, he has to have, must have a willing heart, not for money's sake or mammon as it is, um, but for a but of a ready mind of a willingness to serve. Um, I know years ago in, in Bible college you have all these pastors, these young pastors and their training to go out into the ministry and they're very eager to go and they, they take every opportunity they can to go speak somewhere. And uh, sometimes churches will call the administration of the college and say, do you have any young pastors who, who, who are free this weekend and would like to speak? And usually there is a number of them that were willing to to go and to speak in these other churches and fill in for um, a pastor who isn't able to be there, is on vacation or something, and it's a great opportunity to uh, take your experience to the field, so to speak, out into the out into the um, the very place where the the sheep are feeding, uh, out in the pasture, you might say. And so these young pastors, they were, they were very willing to go, as we all were. Um, and so to be of a ready mind to do it, and uh, not because of any particular uh, fee involved, uh, though probably they, many of them were hopeful to get something to help them out with their traveling expenses, uh, but um, they were willing to go, and so they, they often did, and um, and to go out and serve. And many times they went without any particular uh, remuneration at all. They just went. And if they, uh, they didn't seem to care one way or the other as long as they had opportunity to go and, and to minister. And it was, it was a great time to go. We always went, no matter what the situation was. They always went. Um, so, verse 3, Neither as being lords over God's heritage. And... Um, the idea of lords here is like one who is um, ruling over somebody in a very harsh way, like a despot might rule, uh, as someone who's being very authoritarian over, over a congregation. And, of course, that will never do because the sheep usually rebel at that. They don't want to be oppressed by someone. They want someone who's loving and caring and willing to serve, um, even if they are not appreciated. They, they still want to, uh, they want to serve young pastors and pastors in general who have a real heart for the ministry, just want to serve and are willing to do it. I know it's always somewhat disheartening when you try to get a pastor to come and do something or serve in your place and you're not able to be there and the first thing they ask is how much can you pay? And uh, that always is a kind of a, a downer, you know. You say, well, to yourself you're thinking, doesn't he have any willingness to serve as a, as a servant? Where, where is the servant's heart here? Um, when the first thing they want to know is how much money you have. Um, so you don't you don't want those kind of pastors. You want you want pastors who are willing to serve willingly and and not um, lord over people. Uh, neither is being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. Remember years ago, one story of this lady that was um, in my church, and she uh, 
had gone to another church at the time and was minist- was was serving in the other church and and she said that her pastor went away and when he came back he was a whole, a whole different person it's like he had somehow gotten a clerical robe and all of a sudden he had stepped up two or three notches on his social strata and that um, he didn't present a humble pastor demeanor it was something different he was doing uh, which was kind of disappointing to the person and and I can see where it would be um, people who see their pastor as some kind of an authoritarian usually don't stay very long um, so we, f- we find that the pastor serves in the sense of true humility neither being lords over God's heritage but being examples to the flock and I suppose in this regard the best example we have is of Jesus taking the towel and basin and washing the disciples feet and and um, really making himself a servant for them that he might show them how that they were to serve one another and serving one another is a very good thing to do um, among the flock because it helps the flock to realize that you're just a servant and you're just doing what you're doing because God has called you to it um, and you, you want the best for the flock. The pastor should always want the best for the flock. Um, in verse 4, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, and of course this has in view the Lord coming, When the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. And so much is talked about these crowns, the crown of glory, uh, and so forth, these various crowns that believers do, may have. Um, but they're a little bit undefined, other than to say that uh, it's a crown of some glorious element having to do with serving and, and honoring the Lord at that time when he comes again. But even though it is just spoken of in this general way, usually is something that every believer just longs for to be able to to obtain a prize that we might glorify the Lord with. Um, and so this crown is one that I suppose every pastor would want to have and that uh, at the appearing of Christ uh, to present to the Lord. And uh, so it's it's kind of like one of the motivations that a pastor should have rather than the mammon of the world or some other aspect of serving. Uh, this is one that every pastor should want to obtain. In verse 5 it says, In like manner ye younger submit yourselves unto the elder. Uh, of course those who are younger in the church and desiring to serve ought to uh, be mentored by those who are older and uh, says yea all of you be subject one to another and be clothed with humility for God resisteth the proud 
and giveth grace to the humble. So here, verse 5 seems to address the congregation as much as it, as it does to the sense that the elder is to be a good example. And so the younger in the congregation who less experienced should themselves submit themselves and to those who are more experienced, especially unto those who are leading the church. And he uh, refers here to uh, being subject one to another. That is, to esteem one another uh, instead of one lording over another. We should be esteeming one another. That uh, we ought not to look at ourselves more highly than we should, but be clothed with humility as uh, humility is a very good virtue to have in the church because it places yourself in a position where you can truly serve other people. That is, if you're of a humble and a contrite heart, God will not uh, in any way despise that. Um, But we find that this clothing with humility, and when you think about uh, clothing, something that you adorn adorn yourself with, Uh, Humility is certainly a a virtuous thing to put upon oneself and that it should not be a false humility in any way. He says, for God resisteth the proud, so pride stands over against humility in in a negative way. And then he says, giveth grace to the humble. Uh, So... Uh, God resists the proud uh, in the congregation, if you will, or the proud servant, or anyone who happens to be um, puffed up with their own gifts and abilities, and he gives grace to the humble. And so God favors the humility and the humble who would serve in that way. Uh, In verse 6, Humble yourselves therefore under the mighty hand of God that he may exalt you in due time. And here we we get that sense that when you humble yourself before the Lord, uh, the sense of of true service or humility, uh, you're in true subservience to the Lord's work. You want to do the Lord's work. You want to be a part of the ministry Um, And you don't look for self-exalting, you look for the Lord to make that work uh, a blessing to you and to others. Uh, Many times it is said that when you become a servant and you go to minister to people, then you find yourself being ministered to. So, um, for instance, we normally think of people who cannot do so much for themselves, like people in the nursing home or assisted living or um, in some kind of convalescence care or something of that. Certainly you go to minister to them and all of a sudden you realize that what you are doing is not only a blessing to them but to yourself as well. But then in the church it is very similar too if we have the right attitude. If we want to please the Lord and humble ourselves before the Lord, then when we begin to serve other people, we begin to realize that God is pleased with that. And uh, being pleased with that, he makes it a blessing to us. Uh, we don't in any way dread serving others. We rather 
enjoy it and becomes a, a, a blessing to us to do that. And then in general, again, he says, casting all your care upon him, for he careth for you. Well, are there any cares in the ministry? Well, I guess you'd only have to ask an experienced pastor if there was any cares in the ministry, and he probably could make a list for you. Um, But then if you've been involved in Christian service in any way yourself, you know there are plenty of cares to go around. There's always people to minister to, always people to show uh, deference to, and to humble yourself before, and to to esteem others, and uh, really to meet their needs wherever they are, because there are so many of them in the ministry. Um, all we have to do is begin to look around us, around ourselves in the ministry, and see what is there in front of us. And there's just people all around us who have some need. And uh, we reach out to them and try to, to minister to them and, and to tell them we care about their needs and pray for their needs and so forth. And uh, we find that uh, that is uh, a great ministry to have. Well, um, Mildred uh, Williams, of course, over to the Senate Church, she's, she had a great burden for the Dare to Care ministry. And Mildred... Um, didn't wait for people to come to her. She went to them. Um, in fact, I, I, I know why that ministry was so important to her was because she had such a big burden for it. Um, many years ago, she came to me about that ministry, and she says, isn't there anybody that can go out with me? And I said, well, at that time, it wasn't even uh, on our radar as, um, as a Dare to Care ministry. And so I says, I'll see what we can do. And so we, we uh, first of all, we put together some organization for it. And, um, and then we got together with some ladies who uh, wanted to go to the nursing home. And so they, they were going to the nursing home at the time already. And they began doing things um, in regard to some of these people that was at the nursing home. And then Mildred had a whole list of people in town who were either people who were shut in or people who uh, couldn't uh, do much for themselves and needed somebody to visit them occasionally, and she would, she would visit on her own. She would just go visit them. And, and then um, once they started the data care ministry, then several of the ladies would take on different people to visit at different times, and then they started uh, giving little little favors, little gifts and so forth to different people who were shut in, trying to encourage them and, and giving them some daily breads and some tracts and literature. Or, and uh, June Potter, of course, made little lap blankets and she knitted them. And uh, she would take the, they would take those and present them to different people. Um, just a caring ministry, just to care for people uh, and trying to encourage them, a phone call or send a card or, you know, do something of this nature. There's uh, always people who can be ministered to. We just have to look around us and and see who they, who they are and where we can do that. And, um, of course, the, the pastor can't do all of this. I mean... Um, there has to be other people in the congregation who are willing to serve in some respect in this regard uh, to minister to people and 
we need to we need to do that. Uh, casting all your care upon Him, people have cares, for He careth for you. Um, then he goes on and and talks about the adversary, our adversary. Be sober, that is um, sober-minded. Be of a of a heart to be serious-minded toward serving, serving in the ministry, serving for Christ. Be sober, be vigilant. The the whole idea here is is to be diligently. Uh, going about uh, the business of, of serving and ministering in a, in a vigilant way, not not uh, haphazardly, uh, not without regard to some forethought and some some management. You have to, if you expect to get anything accomplished, you have to plan it out to some degree and seek to uh, do that. Seek to to uh, fulfill the the serving part of it. So serious-minded, be a servant, manage it, get it, get, get the work done. Um, because if we don't, um, well, we know the adversary is not going to support this kind of thing for us. He's not going to, he's not going to encourage us to do that. The, the adversary is a, a liar. Uh, he is, he is the devil. He is Satan. He is a de- deceiver. Um, he stands against the work of God. Uh, he, he is proud and arrogant and um, he is beautiful and terrifying and wants to destroy the lives of others. He is an angel of light that uh, makes you believe one thing, but he is something else altogether. Uh, he is a demon, if you will, but we know that he... Uh, reveals himself, his true colors, if you will, a roaring lion. I remember in one of the stories in Pilgrim's Progress, Pilgrim is is going along this narrow passageway, and I think he's coming close to um, a building he's supposed to go into. I can't remember what the name of the building was, but maybe it was a place for him to rest or something. But there were these lions who were on either side of the walkway, uh, and of the narrow path that he was going down, and they were roaring, and but they were chained. And, and for Pilgrim to get through, he had to stay right in the middle. He had to stay right where he should be, right in the straight and narrow, if you will, of the passageway. Um, but these lions were just wanted to tear him to shreds. Uh, you know, Satan's like that. He wants to tear us to shreds if he can. He's a roaring lion. And he, he's on the prowl, as it were. He walks about, seeking whom he may devour. He's on the prowl. And uh, what are we told to do in verse 9? He says, resist. Resist the devil and he'll flee from you. Uh, resist steadfast in faith. So we, we resist in the faith, steadfastly in the faith. Uh, we can't give up on this, uh, on this matter. We can't let our God down at any time. Uh, we find ourselves weak and helpless and vulnerable when we do. He says, resist steadfast in the faith, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren that are in the world. That is, we seem to be, everybody seems to have trials and tribulations and sufferings of some kind. 
but certainly those who are believers have the, have their share of them. And um, we should not think it strange that we come under some fiery uh, trial or something, uh, because we we know that all those who are in Christ, who want to serve, who want to be effective, who want to accomplish some true servanthood for the Lord, will be under attack. And uh, the old evil one, he is on the prowl to defeat us if he can possibly do it. Um, In verse 10, he goes on to more the conclusion of the passage to say this, "But but the God of all grace, who hath called us unto his eternal glory by Christ Jesus, after ye have suffered a while, make you perfect, established, strengthened, settle you. So it's kind of like that all these uh, things that we find ourselves faced with, the importance of humility as contrasted with pride, the importance of, of allowing God to take our burdens upon, upon Him rather than we carry them, the importance of a serious-minded servanthood, the importance of realizing who your adversary is and wanting to truly uh, be victorious in that case, and to resist, to resist uh, these things uh, in faith, in Christ, to the glory of God. He says, knowing that the same afflictions are accomplished in your brethren. And so he says, But the God of all grace, it's kind of a benediction, if you will. He says, the God of all grace, even Jesus Christ himself, God our Father, whom we know and love because because he has loved us through Jesus Christ our Lord. But the God of all grace, who hath called you, called us unto his eternal glory. And of course, he does use the plural sense. He's called us unto that eternal glory by Christ Jesus. He says, after ye have suffered a while, what will happen? It will be that you will be perfected or brought into maturity in your faith. You will be established in the work and in the service for the Lord. You will be strengthened that you might do the work and and not in any way um, succumb to the trials that you may have some be suffering and you will be settled in those things of Christ. To whom, to him, he says, be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. And so uh, Peter comes back to that sense of, of uh, giving glory to God, realizing that our servanthood is unto Christ and for his glory. Uh, then he says, by Silvanus, or this may be Silas, uh, a faithful brother unto you, as I suppose. I have written briefly, he says, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which ye stand. And so he's kind of like make, giving them a, a con- commendation at the end here. Um, I have written briefly, exhorting and testifying that this is the true grace of God in which ye stand. He believed that they were and were continuing to serve the Lord, and he wanted to encourage them in it, that they might be faithful 
and steadfast in their faith. And then in the closing in verse 13, the church that is at Babylon, elect together with you, greeteth you, and so doth Mark my son. Now, it's a little bit uh, up in the air about whether this is the place Babylon or whether it's just an analogy for Rome. Um, But I'm not sure that it's entirely of any great significance except that we recognize that uh, he mentions uh, this uh, location because, um, well, we do know that all the apostles were sent out to various quarters of the, of the world to minister. And so it could very well be uh, Babylon where he was ministering, or it could, it could be a, a type of uh, name for Rome. But either way, we find that he sends his, his greeting, um, and uh, he says, elect together with you. Elect together with you. So he, he underscores that sense of calling and being the elect servants of the Lord, the ones who are to glorify Christ. And he sends his greeting. He says, greeteth you, and so does Mark my son. Now, this is also a question here, whether it is John Mark he's talking about, or whether it is perhaps someone else he is in reference to, as we're not exactly told. But, again, the important thing is that he had someone that was serving and helping him, and helping in the writing of this epistle. Um, Greet ye one another with a kiss of charity, and of course, this greeting is uh, simply a a cultural greeting which he's talking about that was prominent in the day. Um, Peace be with you all that are in Christ Jesus. And so, the peace of God. Uh, he desired that the peace of God would rest upon them in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Well, certainly, these are good words of help to us in the church and they teach us the true character of serving and of ministering from the standpoint of the the pastor or the elder and of the individuals in the church that ought to be clothed with humility and realize of the responsibility of serving and of the dangers that we face realizing that we are in a spiritual warfare and that the adversary is always near to us, and we have to resist uh, the, uh, the work of Satan, which is constantly against us. And so in his uh, conclusion, he gives those um, comments of benediction and greeting and encouragement at the close of the epistle. So I trust that... Um, Our studies so far in Peter have been of some blessing to you, and we'll continue into 2 Peter as we move on in our studies and see what the Lord has for us there as well. Shall we pray? Loving Father, it is with hearts of true service we want to serve you, Lord. It is a desire upon our hearts also to serve you in humility, And to realize, Lord, that as we humble ourselves before you, Lord, 
we will be in a better position to serve others and to serve others with humility. Father, we thank you that you are there with us in all of these many aspects of servanthood, that we may be reminded that the work is yours and you would have us to be good stewards of it, stewards of the manifold grace of God as we find ourselves under the leadership of the Lord, our Savior. So we ask your blessing, Father, in Jesus' name, amen.